And now, a special presentation of Faith Fit Radio with your host, Glenda Meekins. Welcome to Faith Fit Radio. I'm Glenda Meekins, a writer for the Florida Catholic and the Diocesan Orlando Communications Office. Joining me today is Father Ken Geraci, a father of mercy from Auburn, Kentucky. According to his own bio, Father Ken lived the life of the prodigal son for most of his young adult life. Although he was raised Catholic, Father Ken left the Catholic Church for many years, working in advanced research and development and software testing. He had a successful career with a $4.5 million internet software company and was focused on money, fitness, and success. Today, he shares his journey from agnosticism to non-denomination Christianity and ultimately back to the Catholic Church and how he got his call to the priesthood while he was on a date. He will also share his thoughts about the treasure of the Eucharist and its gift of love and mercy. Welcome, Father Ken. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Glenda, for having me. I appreciate you having me on. God bless. So you joined the Fathers of Mercy in 2006 and were ordained just five years ago in 2012. But that's not exactly where you thought you were headed all your life. So let's start there. You've said before that you hated coming to church. Can you share a little bit about what you disliked about the church? Because I think our listeners might be able to relate. I mean, I don't think there was anything in it for me was my mentality. I went to church and I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> um, you know, whenever I travel and do my missions, I, I'll always kind of say that. Is that is anyone here is coming to church and you don't understand or you're bored or this doesn't make sense? I understand. Uh, stay with me. We're, well, I'm going to help you through this, you know. And that's really the, the struggle that I had, is that as a young person, my mom and dad had the faith. But I grew up in the 80s where, you know, the catechesis program, there was a banner on the wall that said, you're special and Jesus loves you. Mm. And it, it was just, you know, there was very little content. Um, and then the other part was was my openness to it. I was I was focused on sports and video games and uh, doing the things that I wanted to do as a young person. So like the, the average youth. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, t- the fact that I had to take time out of my week to go to catechism or church was a, was just insulting to me. So, <laughs> I think a lot of youth, having taught faith formation for 15 years, I, I, a lot of them can see your point. Yeah. So you had um, uh, you said that your parents were practicing Catholics um, and that you were Sunday churchgoers, but your parents separated your senior year of high school and divorced later on that year. How did that affect you? Well, it was one of these things, you know, that, that old saying, the family that prays together stays together. And, and in our family, my mom and dad had their faith individually and independently, but my brothers and I never prayed. Whenever there was a problem or a challenge in our house or a family, um, we would just work the issue. We would work the problem, but we would never pray about it together. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the the great opportunities that were missed in our family that could have made a bigger difference. Um, when... My parents' marriage was was rocky because obviously you hit that rocky spot before you, you hit the divorce page. And uh, it just really, I think, forced me into a deeper isolationism. Um, mm-hmm. I struggle with uh, several learning disabilities. I have attention deficit disorder and dyslexia. And so my challenges with learning in an academic system, the problems at home, uh, really brought out a lot of uh, anger issues, a lot of um, uh, disciplinary issues. And then, you know, the concept of having, you know, God in my life was just, 
again, saw no value in it. And then also, you know, asking the questions of, of how does how can God exist if all these articles of science being true? Mm. So for me, that whole turbulent period there um, did obviously did not help the faith journey, but I saw an opportunity um, <clears throat> to play my mom against my dad. Mm. And I basically quit going to church um, my senior year of high school. I was able, you know, for them, it was absolutely imperative that you go to church. And uh, I, I managed to, to work it so that I could, I could kind of slip, slip through the cracks on some of these things. Um, so remind me, we'll come back to that of the quitting going to church, because I had a follow-up question on that. But I wanted to, to really first get back to your vocation story. So at what point um, did you start doubting the existence of God? I think the, the conscience doubts of existence came probably towards the end of high school, um, maybe maybe right after high school, and it was more it was more out of the inconvenience of uh, morality of doing it God's way. <clears throat> if God exists, then I have to conform my life to His. But if God does not exist, hmm. I get to do it my way. And and I think I found things to help support that those questions of. Um, rejecting God's existence by simply uh, leaning into the sciences, finding, uh, you know, scientists that, that would, would doubt God's existence or reject God's existence altogether. And so these are some of the things that, that helped fed into that, that notion of agnosticism that I began to really embrace. So. so how did you end up being a part of this internet software company? Um, I know that you studied, well, why don't you share with us a little bit about what you studied in college and how you, how you got there? Well, I think for me it was, you know, I grew up in a very business-oriented family. My dad was excellent at what he did. My mother was uh, um, an administrative assistant and executive office manager for uh, CEOs and CFOs. And so there was always a business theme in our family, just like a family that grows up with music, they have this inclination towards it. Well, that's the way it was in business for us. And for me, I wanted to be successful, make money. Um, so I went up to college to work on my business degree. Uh, I had a, uh, a very low GPA in college, uh, but my work ethic and my insights into Internet and technology, as the Internet is just emerging in uh, between 95 and 98, um, really gave me some recognition within the um, uh, my college um, among my peers, and uh, uh, two executives from a, a local computer company, a Fortune 500 company, came to the university looking for someone with a technology capacity and uh, some um, marketing, primary market research and uh, technology skill sets, and uh, I was referred to them and was recruited out of school to go to work for this company. And it was uh, it was this journey that began me into advanced R and D and software testing, and so I'm a marketer working in the engineer world, um, learning some coding, learning some programming, but also working the whole front end and back end. So hmm. it really kind of gave me uh, a couple extra tools um, from a business perspective that I could see both sides of the plate. And so when we began to work on this company. Um, my boss had an idea uh, for a new software company. Uh, again, when we were doing the advanced R&D, we were actually developing MP3 players. Uh, we did not invent the technology. We were one company among many trying to get a product in that market space. Um, but uh, as we moved forward, my boss had 
is a brilliant man, and he saw the, uh, an opportunity to do uh, for a new company. And so he invited me and several other people. Uh, I was a very minor part of the organization, but played an essential role in, in my discipline. And uh, we worked for nights and weekends for about a year. Hmm. Uh, we worked nine to five, nine to six at our regular jobs, and then we went to his house and worked from seven to one or two in the morning, um, probably four or five nights a week. And uh, after about a year of this, a, a venture capital firm um, invested four and a half million dollars into the little project. So we were underway and thought success was right there at my fingertips. <laughs> you were in the right place at the right time and worked hard. Yeah, it was, it was all divine providence in, in retrospect, but uh, yeah. So speaking of divine providence, um, you happened to work for someone of faith there, and a conversation with him actually started leading you back to questioning your faith. Can you tell us a little bit about that encounter and, um, and how that started your path to begin challenging you? Yeah, well, I was very fortunate to work with um, some very strong value-based men. Uh, Mike Kupka, Anton Weber were, were, the, were the founder and key co-founder of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I distilled so much from these two. Um, Mike one day, you know, and this is, I guess I want to, as I normally do, I want to surmise a variety of conversations into just a few sentences, hmm. uh, just for time's sake. Um, but after, I don't know how many years of working together, but Mike effectively says to me, he says, you know, professionally I have no problem with you, but personally I do. You know, I've heard you tell people that you're a Christian. I've even heard you tell people that you're a Catholic. Uh, but you've told me that you don't pray, you don't go to church, and some of the stories you tell are unbecoming a man, let alone a Christian. Hmm. And he kind of just put it out there and, and said, which is it? And he didn't do it in a confrontational way. He, he was he very, very much out of care for me and, and professional development. And so he wasn't effectively um, inviting me uh, to be a Christian. He was just challenging me to be authentic, to mm -hmm. eliminate the duplicity in my life. You know, are you going to be a Christian or are you not? If you say you're going to do this, at least live by it. And, and if you're not going to live by it, then don't say you are one of us because you're making us look bad. So it was a great challenge. Um, and, uh, and on top of that, not only did he challenge me to let my yes be yes and no be no, he invited me to come back to church with he and his family. And so I would do that from time to time. So would you say that was kind of the essential moment where you started your journey back? I think it's more of a return to integrity and authenticity first. Mm -hmm. uh, just being honest, being eliminating duplicity. And so I think it presented me with that natural option of, of being an adult man and, and being authentic and integral in my life. And I think that challenge led to the opportunity for faith, because it was at that point where I said, well, maybe I can give this faith thing a chance. And so it was going back to church with Mike. Um, my roommate was Baptist, uh, so he invited me to his church. The people that I would uh, do physical fitness training with and rock climbing, they invited me to their churches. So, so I'm going to the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Church of Christ, a, a variety of non-denominational churches, and uh, really encountering Christianity, but, but still doubting. You know, I'm also studying Hinduism, um, some of these Eastern philosophies, uh, because because I had to 
give those their credit. If I'm doubting God's existence, you've got to look at everything. Hmm. So it's interesting, you know, with a, I guess, a broad background, you talk about really self-awareness in essence when you speak of authenticity, because um, to grow spiritually, we have to be self-aware. We have to know where we are. So it was sort of a catalyst, I guess, for you to to really start self-examining and determining the direction in which you wanted to go. But it's interesting, the exploration of, of multiple faiths. So how did you come to um, the priesthood? I mean, how did all of this lead to you becoming uh, Father of Mercy? Yeah, I, I think a lot of this ties together in, in this journey. Um, you know, I think one of the pivotal moments in my in my life, you know, obviously uh, the challenge by Mike, uh, the example of my friend Anton, who's just one of the most moral and, and upstanding men, men that I know. Um, and then, you know, my roommate, um, Terry Short, who brought me to his Baptist church and uh, the youth minister, I'll never forget this day, the youth minister was sitting there preaching, and he was just, he was giving it all he got. You know, he's just really, <laughs> you know, trying to rouse the, the youth. And and he said, he said this, he said, if you want to change your life forever, read one chapter of the New Testament every day. Hmm. And if you doubt God's existence, start in the Gospel of John. Now, Reading one chapter of the New Testament, you know, remember, it's not a book, it's a chapter, so that's either like, uh, sometimes it's two pages in length, sometimes it's, it's short as half of a page, so mm. we're talking anywhere from three to seven minutes a that's day. That's manageable. Very manageable. And this youth minister said this, and, and this was at Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, and, and he said, he said, if you want to change your life forever, you doubt God's existence. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, man, this guy's talking to me. Hmm. Um, so you know what? I'm going to take your challenge, and when you're wrong, I'm going to come back and thump you on the head with your Bible and tell you <laughs> that I don't have to believe it. Well, you know, Glenda, how did that the great, turn out? <laughs> well, the irony of this, Glenda, is that we owe Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, a great debt of gratitude for my vocation <laughs> to the priesthood. <laughs> you know, it started me in in owning. You know, again, one of the things we teach in the Catholic faith that's always been taught is that you have to have a daily plan of prayer. Uh, in business, we say if you cannot measure something, you can't manage that thing. Hmm. <clears throat> so if you're not, if you don't have a set plan of prayer every day. Time for meditation, time for talking to God, time for reading Scripture, time for praying a devotion. Again, we're not talking hours. You know, we're talking a, a manageable amount of time that fits into your day that you can grow and evaluate through time. If you have this, this creates traction. This creates movement. Hmm. And, and then, again, it allows God to work in your life. And so they help establish. My daily plan of prayer started with three to seven minutes every day. And this really began me returning to Christianity, accepting the concept of that not only does God exist, but Jesus Christ is God. And it wasn't just the scriptures. It was asking lots of scientific questions and leaning on the scientists and, and recognizing the concept of a causal universe versus magical thinking that some scientists embrace today. Hmm. So there was all of these different things that came together. But as I was going to a variety of these churches, I began to hear conflicting teachings. And I began to ask the question, which church is true, or does it matter? Does God care what church you go to as long as you go to church? And um, my Protestant friends, when I would ask them, now this was the group that I was with. I don't know what 
answers a non-Catholic would give who would be listening, but my Protestant friends said things like, Ken, listen, we Protestants, we all disagree about small things among our different denominations. We, we disagree about small things. But those Catholics over there, they're just wrong. They're just mm. completely wrong. That was the feedback that I got. So I kind of crossed off Catholicism in my mind. I'm like, well, good, that makes it easy. But then my friend Mike and then a variety of my other friends, and even my Lutheran friends, were, were, were giving greater credence to the Catholic Church. And it was a friend of mine who gave me a tickets to a, uh, a conference in Houston, Texas, called the Fullness of Truth Conference. And uh, I showed up at that conference with all of the reasons why the Catholic Church was wrong. And uh, there were people like Scott Hahn and Tim Staples mm-hmm. and um, Dr. Kimberly Hahn and Some Janet great Smith. Great Protestant converts. Alex Jones, yeah. I mean, these great, you know, heroes of our faith, these living heroes of our faith. Um, you know, and I, and I, I simply wadded up my arguments and, and went home uh, zealous for the faith. <laughs> and and, I, and I'll, I'll make the point that it wasn't that their arguments beat mine. But the reason, how reasonable the Catholic faith is, how mm. reasonable it is, and how understandable it is, it's that's in- what converted me. It's interesting you say that because, um, you know, having taught faith formation for, for 15 years, I had so many students come and say, you know, I don't believe this, Mrs. Meekins. I don't want, you know, I don't believe in God. They, they really, many of them started in the same place you did. And I, I would tell them, you know, usually confirmation year, I would say, you know, have you studied the faith? And they would say, no. You know, do you read scripture every day or do you spend any time in prayer with God? And they would say no. And I said, well, it's kind of hard to reject something that you don't know or don't understand. How You know, you're rejecting something in essence that you really don't even know what you're rejecting. And I think that this is part of the attraction to so many of the Protestant faiths because they know their scripture so well, because they can give you these answers. And then often as Catholics, I don't think we realize how much we know, simply even from attending Sunday Mass, but we don't often take that extra step to when God is pressing us to seek that truth, which he has put within us, that desire, we don't pursue it. It's easier just to say, that's too hard. I don't want to have to follow those rules. And I think, um, I remember you talked about Scott Hahn. I remember reading his uh, Rome to Home. And that was such a convicting book for me because he explained so clearly his journey. He had so many of the same questions I had. And then trying to, like you, disprove the faith, he ended up finding that the Catholic faith was the fullness of of the faith. And so, you know, do you think that's part of the dilemma is that we we just don't know how to defend our faith because we we don't spend enough time in dialogue with with God? You know, there's no one answer to that question. Um, it, it's, it's a large part that we don't spend the time with God, but I think it's even a larger part that we don't live our faith. We think that we can come to church on Sunday and uh, everything work out. And that's and, enough. Hmm. And that's enough. And, and we forget that we're in a war. I mean, when you read the catechism of the Catholic Church, there's a constant and consistent battle theme that runs throughout it. Uh, prayer is a battle. Faith is a battle. Mm. 
and it's not against the world per se. It's against the principalities and the, and the dominions of hell. Yeah. I mean, hell is raging against us. This is a battle for souls, and there are no participation trophies in faith. Hmm. Um, you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell, and there's no in-between. Um, there's no, you know, atheists just don't get plucked out of existence. Uh, you know, Hindus and Buddhists don't become one with the universal consciousness. It's, you're either going to heaven or hell. And, and this is the reality that we, we have to live our faith. We have to disciple one another. You know, a good friend of mine says there are three groups of Catholics. And, and the first group is those who have been sacramentalized, and that's it. Then there are those who have been sacramentalized and catechized, meaning they've been taught something about the faith that they remember. And then the third group are those who have been sacramentalized, catechized, and evangelized. Hmm. And this isn't a one, two, three process, but rather a secular process. From the earliest ages, you're receiving your sacraments. From the earliest ages, you should be being taught basics of the faith. From the earliest ages, you should be evangelized, meaning creating that opportunity for the individual to encounter Jesus, to experience and live their faith. And there's a certain point in each person's life, you've got to own your own faith. It has to become yours. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest challenge that we have in our society today, is that we have 24- and 25-year-old kids who are graduating college with with a graduate degree, uh, you know, walking around with their thumb in their mouth, not sure what, you know, what they're going to do next. It's because all they've known is an education system that has enabled them to just move from one entitlement to the next. That's absolutely true. I can I can understand that. I see it all the time. Um, so getting back to um, your priesthood, how was it that you came to be a priest of the Fathers of Mercy, and why that order in particular? Uh, it, it was actually through the Fullness of Truth conferences that led me to the Fathers of Mercy. You know, I showed up at that conference, and um, with with all my desires of, of being um, a husband and a father, and um, I just wanted to figure out this whole Christianity thing, and it led me into this this the concept of the reality of not only Jesus Christ in a deeper sense, but also the reality of the Catholic Church as who she says she is. And, um, and that really got me focused on a vocation mentality. And for me, uh, what solidified in my mind in this learning process um, was that I wanted to be a husband and a father more than anything else. Mm. Um, it was a Fullness of Truth conference that I, I went up, and I remember I had... I had very little money, but I went upstairs and I bought all the conference CDs and everything mm-hmm. I could get my hands on and, and began to, to do my own work, to own my own faith, to research, to study, to ask the hard questions. And it was in this process that uh, a friend of mine introduced me to this wonderful young woman and uh, began to date her, uh, again, really appropriate courtship. And uh, I think we've been dating for about, uh, about eight weeks or so. And she called and invited me to come to church with uh, with her. There was some priest coming on like a Wednesday night to give a talk. And I said, geez, you know, I never met a priest that had a pulse before, seemed to enjoy what he did. Why would I Why would I want to do this? And I'm like, what, are we going to go for margaritas afterwards? She's like, yes. And I'm like, boom. Uh, I'm there. Time with you, time with God, and a margarita, what could go wrong? <laughs> Famous last words. Um, so... So we're on this, this date, and this priest is preaching, and this guy is on fire. 
And uh, I'd never heard a priest this animated or in love with the faith like he was. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, saying, if this priest says, I'm signing people up in the back to become priest, I'll go. I don't know what I'll tell my girlfriend or my family, but I'll do it. (laughs) And within 20 seconds of thinking that, uh, she elbows me in the side and goes, hey, are you sure you're not supposed to be a priest? (laughs) And I, Glenda, I freaked out. (laughs) I I slid into the pew. I turned into a statue. And I'm like, if he says it, I will go. But he has to say it, Jesus. That didn't count. It has to come from him. I love uh, the tests we put God through. (laughs) Man. I mean, it was literally the most honest thought I ever had. And here we go. The girl I'm dating is elbowing me, saying exactly what I'm thinking. (laughs) Well, the priest doesn't say anything, so I leave there that night taunting God, saying, you had your chance, I'm done, I'm out. And uh, this thought about being a priest bothers me every day for four months. Mm. And um, I moved from Austin, to Austin, Texas, to Houston, Texas, which is basically um, Jacksonville to Tampa. And this thought about being a priest bothers me every day. I finally talked to someone, and they basically say to me, which is better for your life, your plan for your life or God's plan? And I said, well, of course God's plan is going to be better. He goes, well, you owe it to God at least to look into this. Hmm. And so through a series of events, I begin to t- I meet with another priest, and he explains to me how the becoming a priest is not an interview but a very long, drawn-out, laborious process and um, for me to get a spiritual director and just, just to pray about it. So he recommends a young guy uh, down the road. He thinks that I would be, uh, you know, we would get along well. And um, so I go knock on this uh, priest's door that was recommended to me by this random other priest, and out walks the same priest that was in Austin four months earlier. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There are no coincidences. No coincidences. In in the city of Houston, nonetheless, I mean, going from Austin to Houston is a huge jump to begin with, but to (laughs) land up on the same priest's door that was in a different city 300 miles away. Amazing. um, It's like hitting a golf ball from Orlando and getting a hole-in-one in in New York. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so that began it. And so that began to open me up to it, and it got me praying and really discerning. Um, I went back to the Fullness of Truth conference, and um, I just mentioned to the organizer the effect that uh, his conference had on me, that it not only helped bring me back to the faith, but I was now open to discerning the priesthood. Uh, and it was through, uh, it was through Ken, Ken Zamet of the Fullness of Truth that he uh, introduced me to Father Bill Casey, who was then the Superior General of the Father's Mercy. And uh, we, began to, we began to talk, and uh, kind of the rest is history. So I, I really owe that that. Catholic conference, um, a huge debt of gratitude um, for not only helping me come home, but helping me uh, really discover my vocation. So tell us a little bit, um, what exactly is the Fullness of Truth Conference? I know it's an evangelization ministry, right? In in a sense, they they bring in a variety of speakers. They they cover a multitude of, of topics. You know, one of the things that we, the problems that we have in our Catholic Church today um, and I didn't realize when I when I came back to the Catholic Church, I, I just you know you got the catechism. I mean, Catholic is Catholic, and mm-hmm. I, I remember talking to um, at dinner with a group of of priests as I'm getting into this discernment. And this was not with the fullness of truth of the Fathers of Mercy. This is just a random group, and uh, we were talking about 
I was just learning about contraception and the church's teaching on this and how I thought that was the stupidest teaching. How could the church <laughs> be against contraception? You people are fools. These are, this, these are my thoughts. And then as I, as I began to systematically study the issue from the church's point of view, I was blown away at the wisdom and brilliance mm-hmm. behind that teaching. And then how when my friends, who contracepted most of their marriage, when we were talking about it, he and his wife started practicing NFP, hmm. and, and they both told me independently that their marriage was the best it had ever been prior to this, and hmm. now it was only better. And so, anyhow, so it, these are the things that, that, you know, they tackle, is they, they focus on what does the church teach. It is not progressive or permissive, and it's not traditional and rigid. It is hmm. simply Catholic. Again, they bring in excellent speakers, the Scott Hans, the Tim Staples, um, uh, different priests, um, just a a variety of of Catholics that are just right down the middle with what the Church teaches. And and we really, and that's really the key of our faith, is that not getting caught up in in the traditionalist, rigid side of things, that everything has to be Latin, and every and that's it's just not valid if it's not in Latin. And it's nonsense, all the way to the other extreme of liberalism, progressivism, mm-hmm. and permissiveness. It doesn't matter what, oh, you're an axe murderer, it's okay. No, you have to repent of your sins. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to okay. be accountable. You've got to be accountable. So that's really what the Fullness of Truth Conference focus on, is, is finding uh, authentic uh, people with, who are classically Catholic, you know, this is this is who who we are. You pick up the catechism; that's who we are. Well, thank you for that. Um, it sounds so interesting. I'd never heard of that before. I'll have to see if they come to the Orlando area at all. Yeah, I think they focus mainly in the Texas region and uh, that 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 south uh, south and southwest area. But they they do fantastic work, and there are many conferences like this. There are I know they have them out there in Orlando. I, I know there's a variety of these things, but um, but the Fullness of Truth conference was specifically a response to the two extremes that exist in the church: the mm-hmm. the rigid traditionalism to the progressive permissive liberalism. So. Mm-hmm. So I know that um, out of this conference you met instrumental people. How how specifically did you come to the Fathers of Mercy? And I'm going to ask you to share your conversation with Father Bill Casey, <laughs> who was the Superior General at the time, because because uh, I just love that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, so I, I was discerning my vocation with with another religious community, and at this time I didn't understand the concept of, of this right or left. But but there was a, a bit of an absence of Catholic identity with this particular group, and again I didn't realize it at the time. Um, and uh, I was talking to Father Bill, and, and he asked me. He says, and I was I was about to enter the uh, apprenticeship portion of their formation process. And uh, he asked me, he said, so what are they offering you? And he meant, what, did they off- what were they offering me in terms of formation, hmm. classes, teaching, prayer life, things like that? Well, I told them what they offered me, which was, I get to keep my money, I'll have a 14 by 14 bedroom, I'll have cable TV, broadband internet, uh, my food will be, three meals a day are provided, all they ask is that I help out around the house and, and participate in evening prayers. And Father Bill, his, his 
if you know Father Bill, he's a he's a military guy. He, he's and he 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 began to shake, and he and his face clenched up, and he looked at me, and he <laughs> and he leaned over the table, and he pointed that finger at me, and, and it, it would have drilled through my chest if he would have touched me, <laughs> and and he looked at me, and he said, Ken. If you come to the Fathers of Mercy, I promise you one thing and one thing alone, and that is the cross. <laughs> oh, not that it's funny that it is the cross, but it's just. It, it oh, is. My gosh. And, and, and he's been, and we, we still joke today that he is the most faithful to his promises. <laughs> <laughs> it's but not it was, easy. But it's it's true. not easy. It's true. Jesus said the same thing. He was just paraphrasing Jesus. Pick up your cross and follow me daily. And I, daily. I do think that we have this sense and certainly this, you know, I think, um, you know, initially after Vatican II, when uh, there were a lot of things that had changed and the church was much more open. And I, I remember, you know, one of the big hymns at the time being Kumbaya, and it was all this, you know, God loves you. And we had kind of this sense that this false sense that, you know, if we believe, if we have this faith and and relationship, then everything is going to be hunky-dory, happy, joyful. And it's just not the reality of, of not just any Christian life, but of any life. You know, there are ups and downs, and we all have our crosses to bear. And and it is a daily struggle, whether you're in, you know, the religious life, whether you're um, a parent or a single person, um, we all have our challenges. And, and those are our individual crosses that God gives us to bear in our journeys, that he yeah. works with us to, to deepen us in, in our relationship with him. Yeah, absolutely. We, we just can't think it's going to be all roses and everything's going to be perfect. Um, God didn't promise us a life without problems, but a life of peace amongst those problems. So you've been um, a priest now with the Fathers of Mercy for five years. Tell me a little bit um, for our listeners exactly what the charism is with the Fathers of Mercy um, and what it is about that particular order that drew you there. Well, the Fathers of Mercy is a specialist community. Um, our founder, uh, we were founded in 1808 by Father Jean-Baptiste Rosan to preach parish missions and retreats. Hmm. Uh, Father Rosan was one of the most accomplished preachers, um, diocesan priest, in uh, Lyon, France. And his bishop uh, asked him to start a community of preachers because the French Revolution had basically decimated the faith. And so there was a huge need for, for the return of, of many people who either had abandoned the faith or were exiled from the faith or whatever happened to bring them back home. And so Father Rosan uh, gave up the diocesan priesthood to establish this community. And, um, it, and it's a bit of a story how we ended up in America, but, but now we're an American-exclusive community, and we focus on preaching missions and retreats with an emphasis on preaching the mercy of God. And that was handed down to us from our founder, the image of the father and the prodigal son. You know, the father went out every day to the edge of his property looking for, those, for his son to come home. And when he saw him, he rushed to him. And that's what we do. We live here. We're based out of western Kentucky. Uh, but really our job is to stand on the front edges of the battlefield of faith, looking for those prodigal sons and daughters who want to go home and help them, hmm. to go out to them. And so we travel, uh, the average uh, Father of Mercy missionary travels probably seven months of the year, uh, give or take, depending on the guy. And um, 
we go to a different city each week, and we uh, we come to a parish for a week at a time, and we offer a, what is the classic parish mission, where we re-evangelize the basics of the faith. We help bring people back to the sacrament of confession, um, Eucharistic adoration, healing services, anything. You know, again, we've got people who are who have strayed from the faith. We have people who have never wavered one bit, but they're still struggling. They're still trying to make it through their days. And how can we help you? How can we, how can we service you? How can we help grow your faith? And that's really what the Fathers of Mercy's focus is, is, is to, to bring that peace that God has promised through the gospel to the hearts of every man and woman uh, in a parish. So go back to one quick question. You talked about quitting going to church, um, you know, when you were in high school after your parents had divorced. And this is something that um, I'm faced with a lot and you know, we have a lot of young people leaving the church. Yeah. Um, what would you advise parents who have teens that don't want to attend anymore, um, that really when they go are not participating, are not um, really actively seeking that? What do you recommend? Is it wiser at that point to allow them to stop going um, so that it's not, you know, because I, I almost feel like we are teaching them that, Church is this obligation. This it's not a relationship it with Christ. It's not an encounter. By making them go, we're teaching them this is an obligation, and that's that begins a skewed view of God. It, yeah, would, no, church would you agree? is an obligation. It's an obligation for us to go, because you look at that cross, and you look at that man hanging on that cross, and he died for the individual. He died for you, and you're not going to give anything back for that. You're not going to say thanks. I mean, that's what Mass is. We say Mass is a Sunday obligation, not because you have to, you know, check the attendance box, but we're coming back to give thanks to God. I mean, th- this is the point, is that church is not about you. This, this is the problem with many of, the, of, of some of these Protestant models. Not all of them. I'm not trying to paint with a big picture. But a lot of the Protestant models makes it about you and your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you don't feel like coming to church that Sunday, and you want to watch church on TV, sitting there with your coffee and donuts, listening to the praise and worship music, and then listen to the sermon that's given, you think that's worship? I mean, this is, this is, this is, that's not faith. That's not church. Again, we have to sacrifice. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice, and we are to participate in that sacrifice by coming back to give thanks to the Father. Now, no one's going to rush to church based on that answer. But we have to recognize that we owe God everything. We live in the United States of America. When was the last time we went without food? When was the last? I mean, oh my gosh, if the air conditioner goes down for an hour, uh, that's the biggest inconvenience most of us face. Mm. But we have to recognize that we owe God everything. And coming to church for one hour a weekend is just the bare minimum to, to participate in that. Um, there's so much more to this. So I think part, part of it is one recognizing getting, getting our faith right. You know, when I teach the, on the missions, uh, the, the last thing I teach is how to pray the Mass. And the question I start with is that when you come to Mass, are you the audience or are you the performers? Hmm. And most people get it wrong. Most people say that we're the audience, we're the congregation. We're and participants. Right. You're the performers. You're the participants. The, the congregation are the primary performers. The priest, 
stands in the person of Christ as the director or conductor. Now, again, this is an analogy. It breaks down. But who is the audience? If you're the performers, the priest is director or conductor. Well, look at the, all of the prayers of the Mass. They're oriented to God the Father. So God the Father is the audience. And he is there to receive our prayer, praise, worship, adoration, thanksgiving, intercession, to come together as a family, as the body of Christ, to, to be alive in him, in the blood of Jesus, to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, and to offer that perfect praise and thanksgiving to the Father. Now, if we enter Mass with that mentality, we come mm. to give versus we come to receive, it changes everything. You know, God is never outdone in generosity. If you give God your very best at every Mass, what is he going to give you in return? Mm. But if you don't give him anything, you can't expect anything. So part of it is, one, having the proper understanding of the Mass. Two, owning our own faith. Three, and I, and I say this with all delicacy, parents, please don't be offended by this. I love you. I, I can only imagine how hard it is to parent these days. But we must parent our children. We must discipline in terms of restricting the use of social media, restricting the use of video games and television. You know, as a kid, I remember we were restricted to the number of hours of TV we could watch a week. Mm -hmm. Today, kids have, have cell phones, and they, they, they just binge-watch Netflix daily. Yeah. They're on social media or chatting or, or Snapface or whatever they do these days. <laughs> Snapchat. And, and so they're doing all of these things. And again, it's a constant, persistent drum of noise. Mm -hmm. And all of their perceived needs and perceived desires are being temporarily met in these instant little moments. But they're missing the big boat. And mm -hmm. so... That's the, that's the key, is, is for us to own our faith and just to live it and to do it well. So you talk about owning our faith, and one of, one of the most um, critical, well, St. Pope John Paul II said um, that it's the source and summit of our, of our faith is the Eucharist. This is um, a topic that you spoke on uh, recently at the mission at Blessed Trinity. Can you tell us a little bit or share us with us a little bit about what you shared at that mission and um, just the beauty of the Eucharist? Sure. I, I think the, the beauty of the Eucharist is the reality is that it's not a something, but rather someone. Mm. Um, you know, the, the biblical evidence of Jesus Christ presence in the Blessed Sacrament was one of those things that literally helped springboard me into the Catholic faith. Mm. Um, you know, how could, my question was, is how could that piece of bread be the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? And so we started, you know, because I was doing the Bible church thing at the time, started in the scriptures. And when you go through the Old Testament and, and then see here in the New Testament, all of these things that point to this reality, and St. Paul even says it explicitly in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 11. I mean, there's no symbol here, no parable. This is mm -hmm. the reality. And so when I began to experience this and encounter the person versus the subject, that's where, where the Eucharist became alive for me, is if you want to test this, Simply take an hour a week or a half hour a week and go sit before the tabernacle 
Or go find a church that has perpetual adoration and go sit before Jesus in the monstrance. You know, the only difference between Jesus in the monstrance and Jesus in the tabernacle is our presence to him. Mm-hmm. Again, our, 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 I mean, he's, that little door, the, the, the little bronze door, is, doesn't, Jesus is not like, oh, I can't see you. No, he, he knows you walk <laughs> in the church. No, he, he, and he, his heart jumps when you walk in. It doesn't matter how faithful or, or, or doubting or unsure you are. He loves you, and he's fighting for you. And for us to put ourselves in the presence of Jesus on a regular basis, that is life-changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about reading one chapter of the New Testament every day changed my life, and it did. But it only opened me up to the reality of the presence of Jesus. And now I make at least one holy hour every day before our Lord begging for just his mercy, praying for you people, praying for whoever I'm ministering to, um, and just sitting and, and letting that relationship grow. I mean, that's the thing I love about our faith is that our non-Catholic friends will say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And you know what? And that is a very important question mm-hmm. we yes. Catholics need to reflect on. Do we? Do I live not only a personal relationship, but that communal relationship? But when they ask me that question, I just say, let me tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how personal it is, how I get to sit with them, that at every Mass I become that living tabernacle of God. Mm. You know, it's pretty amazing. It's really an incredible gift, and um, I do think that often, sadly, we don't fully understand when we're going up to receive exactly what is happening, you know, that we're receiving God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that he, he dwells within us and we go forth to be able to be those disciples that he's called us to be. Um, you know, just it really is such a, such a blessing for us that, you know, this is the way he stays with us. Well, yeah, he said, I will be with you till the end of time. And, and yes, omnipresent and substantially present, he is there. Well, thank you so much, Father Ken, for being with us today. We really, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, I enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much for having me. If you could get back in town again sometime, you'll have to come and see us. Absolutely. Well, God bless you all, and maybe we could depart with a final blessing. I'd love that. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, your listening audience and protect and guide them always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Glenda Meekins for Faith Fit Radio. Thank you for joining us.